All right, we're gonna jump into week two of our Generation to Generation series. And today, I gave our message kind of a fun name. It's just called Family Feud. Anybody ever remember that show? Uh, man, I remember watching that when I was a kid, and, and it, was, it was just fascinating. And, and on that show, it was all fun. It was, it was, you know, everybody's joking around. Nobody really gets mad when they lose. It's just, it's light and cheery and just a good time. At least that's how I remember it. Uh, but in this series, Generation to Generation, we're talking about all things family, our physical families, our spiritual families, our roles in the family, and how to navigate family life. And in case you didn't hear, February 26th, and uh, that's two weeks from today, we're going to have a family service. Um, we'll still have nursery and pre-K, but the elementary kids will be in here with us. Uh, they're going to help us with worship. Um, we're going to, the message that to uh, that day is gonna be for everyone from elementary all the way till uh, grandmas and grandpas. And so it's gonna be a really, really fun day. You're not gonna wanna miss. But when it comes to family, a lot of the times, we struggle with passing along the most important things. We do. And I know this as a dad, a lot of times I'll see things in my kids and I'm like, where in the world did they learn that? And then it dawns on me, they got it from me, right? And, and then you just kind of feel like, oh man, I'm, I'm a horrible dad and, and why did I pass it on to my kids? And, and, and it's, you know, when it, when it comes to little habits, it's not a big deal. But there are some things in life that we have to make sure that we pass on to our kids, like our love for Jesus and truth and, and what God's truth looks like. And so I love what Psalm 145, four says. It says, let each generation tell its children of your mighty acts. Let them proclaim your power. Let each generation, that's me and you, tell its children of your mighty acts. Now you might say, well, Joe, I don't have kids. That's okay. You're a, you can mentor kids, you can mentor youth, you can mentor your peers, you can even you know, lead up in whatever organization that you're in. You can make a difference, and it's our job as every generation to make God's fame and God's renown the most important thing in our lives. But sometimes in the midst of family life, things get in the way. Have you ever noticed that? Dysfunction, hurt, Pain, family drama. We just got through the holiday season and maybe, maybe your holiday is marked with that. It's, it's more of a reminder that, man, everything's not going so well on the family front. And so the big idea today is that even in the midst of dysfunction, and I, there's not a family on the planet that doesn't have some amount of dysfunction. Why? Because we're all imperfect, all of us. Man, if you, if, if you, you know, the moment you think you're perfect, it's like when you walk in the room, you just made it less perfect, right? And so even in the midst of dysfunction, you can honor God and leave a better legacy. Even in the midst of dysfunction, you can honor God and leave a better legacy. And so... You know, especially when I was growing up, you watch sitcoms. You know, one of my favorites was Family Matters with Steve Urkel. Anybody, everybody, anybody of that generation? Good times, right? And it always ended well. It always ended with, with dad, you know, giving a talk and, and putting everything back together. And, and it was just good. But many times, things in our family life don't get resolved in a 24-minute episode. They don't. 
And it's an age-old dichotomy, a thing that kind of seems like a paradox, something that, that really doesn't make sense to us, that those closest to us can both bless us and hurt us the most. You ever notice that? That family can be the best thing on the planet and sometimes the most painful. Because I think it, I really think it's because, because the amount that you love someone, the amount that you've invested in someone, the amount that you've, that you've opened up yourself and been vulnerable with someone also opens up your heart to where it can be hurt the most. And I don't, I don't see a way around it. I don't think this is changing. I don't think this is something that we're fixing here today on a Sunday morning, right? Because we mess up and, 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 and man, I've, I've hurt people and they've hurt me and, and it's, it's probably not something that's solvable. It's a tension to be managed in our life. But here's what we know. We don't get to choose our families. Some of you maybe wish you could have. You grew up looking at the family across the street and wishing you had what they had and wishing you, you're, you're, you know, whatever their, the outside picture of that family looked like, you kind of wished that was you. Or maybe you grew up in a great family and, and, and everything was great. But it doesn't matter what side of the spectrum you come from, there's probably some dysfunction. And maybe not in your immediate family, but in your extended family. It's touched all of us. And so how do we respond to dysfunction? Last week we talked about Abraham and how this promise to God to Abraham is gonna bless all the generations. Amazing, right? And how we wanna, we wanna pass on the right things. Well, Abraham's lineage started out with plenty of drama. Abraham himself, you know, he had Isaac and, and then Isaac has Jacob and Esau And right off the bat in Jacob and Esau's life, when it came time for Isaac to bless Esau, Jacob stole the inheritance, stole the blessing, and and Esau traded it for a a bowl of soup, and, and there's this family drama. Jacob grows up and has 12 sons from multiple different women, which right there, that's already a recipe for disaster. Jacob's sons are less than honorable. They're doing some crazy things that are super hurtful. So just two generations removed from the promise of God to Abraham, two generations later, and God's promise is happening, right? A lot of kids are being born, and and man, this this bloodline is, is definitely taken off, but it isn't looking too great from the outside, which right there, I mean, we can, I mean, God's promises can be happening even in the midst of dysfunction, which is kind of hard to wrap our minds around sometimes. But in Genesis 37 through 50, it tells this amazing story of a, of a young man named Joseph. And from Genesis 37 to 50, you know, Joseph goes from being 17 years old to probably about 50 years old and and even beyond when we really get to the end of the story. But it begins with Joseph as a 17-year-old boy. And guess what he's doing? He's ratting out his brothers. (laughs) He's ratting out his brothers. He's going to his dad and telling his dad some of the bad things that, that that the boys are doing. And so 
Dad, Jacob is giving Joseph preferential treatment. He literally loved him more. Not just, he didn't say that as a joke to, to all the kids, you know, and, and I've seen parents do that before. Well, I, I love this one the best. You know, my boys tease me about Jovi. So I've got two boys, 17 and 15, and then I've got a little girl, Princess Jovi, right? And, you know, just by nature of the birth order and the fact that the two are boys and they stink and they, they've got B.O. And, they, and they're just kind of gnarly, you know, teenage boys right now, um, this little, beautiful, precious little girl may or may not get treated just a little bit differently. And I tell my boys, well, she's a girl. Right? So of course I'm going to treat her differently. And of course she's going to, you know, um, uh, you know, have a little sweet spot in my eye. And, and so, but, you know, all, all of that is just joking. You know, I love them all equally. And so my boys tease me. They literally think there's a conspiracy theory against them with Jovi. And, and yeah, it's, it's a long time argument at our house. But this little rift between Joseph and his brothers and the dad was legit. Like Jacob literally loved him more. The Bible says he loved him more than the rest of them. And so right there, it's already some family drama. And so the other brothers already hated Joseph. His 10 older brothers hated him, hated him. And so then Joseph has these dreams that someday his brothers are gonna bow to him. And he does a really smart thing and he tells his brothers about it. Hey, someday all y'all are gonna bow down to me. It's gonna be great. And of course they hated him even more. And so one day his brothers are out tending the flocks and, and dad sends Joseph to check on them and the brothers get a bright idea and their hate went from just words and teasing to very real action. Joseph gets out there and things get real. His brothers crossed the line. They talked about killing him. Then they decided, oh, well, we're just gonna settle for slavery. Next best thing, I guess. And so they take their brother and they sell him into the slavery and things get real. It goes from just words and, and little brotherly love and, and you know picking on each other to hate to literal abuse. In our, in our today's vernacular, we would call this trauma. Joseph experienced abandonment. Abandonment. He was sold into slavery. Have you ever noticed, you know, there's times in life where you, you know that you need God, and then there's times in life where you really need him. And so Joseph finds himself in this very real trauma of being sold away from his family into slavery and gone. Life forever changed. It's a crucial moment. Maybe you've been through that in your life where you know, everything was okay. You could deal with it. You could, you could process it. Yeah, everything wasn't perfect. You know, your, your problems were kind of normal family problems and normal family life, but then something really big happened and it was a defining moment in your life that you'll never forget. Trauma, pain. It hurts. And so this was a crucial moment where I can only imagine, and the Bible doesn't give a lot of insight into Joseph's feelings or, or what was going on in his head at the time, but I can imagine that he's thinking, what now? 
What now? And maybe you've been through divorce or abuse or hurt or betrayal or, or you name it, abandonment of some sort. And you've had that moment in your life, what in the world am I gonna do with this? It's a big deal. And so let's look at just some, some, some highlights in the story of Joseph today and see how he handled it, see what happened, and see if we could apply some of those truths to our life. Can we do that together? Number one, let's fill in the blanks in our notes today. Joseph's ability to withstand the trials, to make it through, was directly linked to his proximity to God. There's a direct connection in Scripture. So Genesis 39.2, Joseph ends up in Egypt, and and he's sold into slavery into Potiphar's house, and so he is there, and, and here's what it says. It says, the Lord was with Joseph. So he succeeded in everything that he did as he served in the home of his Egyptian master. So right off the bat, it's saying the Lord was with him. The Lord was with him. So he still did the right thing. He honored God. He worked hard. He resisted temptation. And the Lord was with him. The funny thing is, though, it tells us that the Lord is with him before it tells us all the good things that Joseph did. We'll get to that in a second. And so he's in Potiphar's house. He's, uh, the Potiphar's wife comes after him, tries to get him to, to, to commit sin with her. And so he's falsely accused. He resisted the temptation, but she falsely accused him. So he gets thrown in prison. In prison, he still did the right thing. He honored God. He helped people. And what did it say in Genesis 39? It says, but the Lord was with Joseph in prison and showed him his faithful love. And the Lord made Joseph a favorite with the prison warden. And so in both of these horrible experiences where he's abandoned, he's enslaved, he's falsely accused, he's going through things that he didn't deserve, he's trying to do the right thing and it doesn't feel like anything is getting better, we see that the Lord was with him. Listen, your ability to walk through your family challenges will be directly linked to your proximity to God. You can't separate the two. If you're gonna get through, you wanna be with Jesus. You wanna lock arms with him and go through it with him together. You wanna stay as close as you possibly can to Jesus because he's the one that will help get you through. You know, as I read this and I thought about this and I asked myself the question, what had Joseph done to deserve this kind of proximity, this kind of blessing of having the Lord just for him and with him and close to him. And the answer is, when you read through the story, that when it said that the Lord was with Joseph and he succeeded in everything he did, it didn't really give an indication that Joseph had done much to deserve that. He was a 17-year-old kid, right? He had had a dream. He had told the dream to his brothers. It's not like he had fought some battles and won or, or stepped out in faith and, and, and you know, had this huge moment. No, he really hadn't done much. And yet the Lord was with him. And God's presence changed everything for Joseph. And so we see undeserved favor in the midst of undeserved hardship. And what do I want you to hear from this this morning? is you might be going through something that you didn't deserve, you didn't create, you didn't, you know, you're just in it. 
family dysfunction that you wish you could have chosen another family. But God sees you and God is with you and you absolutely can be close to him right now. You see, because of what Jesus did when he came and he walked this earth as a man and he was sinless and he went to that cross and he died for the sin of all humanity, for, for your sin and my sin, for we all have sinned and fallen short of God's glory. And then on the third day, he rose again. And it's because he did all that that you and I are able to step into 24-7 access to the presence of God. 24-7 access to our best friend in Jesus. 24-7 access to a father who loves you perfectly, better than your earthly father or mother ever could. Right? It's because of that that Hebrews 4.16 says this. It says, so then, since we have a high priest who has entered heaven, Jesus, the son of God, let us hold firmly to what we believe. This high priest of ours understands our weaknesses, for he faced all of the same testings we do, yet he did not sin. So let us come boldly. Let us come boldly to the throne of our gracious God. There we will receive his mercy and we will find grace to help us when we need it most. And so you see, the fact that God was close to Joseph wasn't because Joseph was an all-star. The fact that God can be close to you isn't because you've done anything to deserve it or because you've, you're, you've, you're special in any kind of way. The fact that you can be close to God is because Jesus laid down his life for you because he walked through everything just like you've walked through it and he didn't sin. And he stood strong and he paid the ultimate price so that we can have access to the presence of God. And the same proximity that Joseph had that got him through his family drama, you can have to Jesus as well. You can be close to him today. Not because you deserve it or have earned it. Not because the circumstances in your life are perfect. Not because anything is even currently being fixed or not. Jesus can just be close. Love that. The second thing that we see in the, in the life and story of Joseph is that in the midst of hardship, God still used him. God still used Joseph. Listen, it's not what happens to me. It's what God does in me and through me that will make a difference. We've got to get this deep in our hearts that even in the midst of hardship, even in the midst of when life and family has gone off the rails, God still wants to use me and you. He wants to use you. And so we see that Joseph, he stood strong in temptation. He was a hard worker. He was a blessing everywhere that he went. And so eventually, because he was nice to a couple dudes in prison, he gets elevated to this position of leadership in Egypt. And I am massively you know, shortening the story. And so you need to go to Genesis 37 and read all the way to Genesis 50 this week as your homework. Dig in. But sometimes it's nice to see the big picture because we get so stuck in the tunnel vision of our life and what's going on that we can't see the big picture. And so Joseph literally goes from slavery and from imprisonment to the king's right side to number two in all of Egypt. And you know something that he said as soon as he got into the king's presence? He didn't say, thank God I'm out of prison. The, the king tell, told him this dream that he had and they heard that Joseph could interpret dreams and guess what Joseph said? Genesis 41, 16. He said, it's beyond my power to do this. It's beyond his power to interpret the dream. 
Joseph replied, but God can tell you what it means and set you at ease. And so even when Joseph got to this place where, you know, man, everything could be made right, he realized at that point that he himself on his own couldn't make anything right. And that he was humbled and he was brought down to a place where, where without God he couldn't do anything. And so Joseph interprets their dream. Joseph advises the king on what should happen. The king, the Pharaoh's like, man, that's a great plan. Joseph, you're in charge of the whole country. You're my number two. You know, whatever you say, we're going to do. And it's amazing. And guess what the king said? Genesis 41, 38. He said, can we find anyone else like this man so obviously filled with the spirit of God? Wow. Can we find anyone else like this man so obviously filled with the Spirit of God? That's amazing. That after years and years and years of, in, of being in a slave and being in prison, Joseph comes out of those situations full of God's Spirit, able and ready to be used by God. It's amazing. And so he leads the nation through famine. He does amazing things, all because he had this utter dependence on God during the unthinkable hardships of life, which opened the door for God to fill him with his spirit. He was so obviously filled with the spirit of God because of his utter dependence on him. What does Jesus say in Matthew chapter six? He says, seek first the kingdom of God and all these things will be added unto you. Joseph didn't get to decide when those things are gonna be added. He didn't get to decide what the things were gonna be added, but he obviously sought God above everything else and God blessed him for it. And so even when you're going through hard times, God can still use you. Number three. Number three, we see that processing pain with God at your side is the only way to find true healing. Processing pain with God at your side is the only way to find true healing. And so Joseph, he's abandoned, he's hated, he's enslaved, he's, he's now delivered, and he's, he's got it all. He's got all the money, he's got the fame, he's got the power, he's got it all. But what we see in the coming chapters is that there's no shortcut around the pain. There's no bypassing the process. And good circumstances don't remove the emotional trauma that he had experienced in life. But that having God with you in the process is the only thing that made healing possible for Joseph. And so, once again, to shorten the story, Joseph is in this place of power. There's a famine in the land. You know, seven years of, of good goes by and then seven years of famine. And in the middle of that famine, his brothers, who used to hate him, those ones that sold him to slavery over in his own country, come looking for food. And who's in charge? Joseph. And so his brothers come to him and they don't recognize him and they're trying to get food. And, and like any brother would do to his brothers, Joseph is seemingly a little passive aggressive, makes it kind of hard on his brothers and, and plays some games back and forth with his brothers. And during this process, okay, 
During this process, we see just this emotion come out of Joseph. We see emotion come out of him. And so before this, in Genesis 41, 51, we see that Joseph, he had taken a wife and he had some kids and it says he named his older son Manasseh for he said, God has made me forget all about my troubles and everyone in my father's family. Joseph named his second son Ephraim for he said, God has made me fruitful in this land of my grief. And so can you imagine that even the naming of his sons, he was connecting back to the grief and the trauma that he experienced. Man, you think that your family is bad? You think that what you've gone through is hard and that you can't make it and that it just has completely derailed your life? Think about this, that even when he got into this place of abundance and this place of blessing and this place where he had power and prestige, man, he's still wrapped up with feelings about what had happened to him. And I would be too. And so he's, he's gone from 17 to 38 years old now when he's having kids and it's still fresh. This pain that he's carrying, it's still fresh. And I believe that the statement that Joseph made about his kids, and, and he says that he forgot all of his troubles and everyone in his father's family, and he said that God has made him fruitful in the land of his grief, but it's almost like he's trying to convince himself that he's over it because things are going well now. But we see from the verses that are to come that he's still healing and he's still processing it. In Genesis 42, 23 through 24, when his brothers have come and he's going through this whole deal where they don't understand or they don't recognize him and he's going back and forth. It says that of course they didn't know that Joseph understood them for he had been speaking to them through an interpreter. He's being sneaky, right? Now he turned away from them and began to weep. And when he regained his composure, he spoke to them again. Then he chose Simeon from among them and had him tied up right before their eyes. And so we see this, man, he's battling the emotions that he's going through, the hurt that he's felt, and he, he can't decide whether he's gonna throw them all in jail or, or be nice to them. And so he's trying to be harsh to them, but he's hurting on the inside, and we do this all the time, with, whether it's with our spouses or with our families, and it's like because of the little hurt, we, we maybe get a little passive-aggressive at times, and we do things to just kind of make little jabs and little stabs, and, and we do this, don't we? But we see that he's 40 years old now, and he's still processing the pain, he's still processing the hurt. And then in Genesis 45, five, when he finally reveals his identity to his brothers, what does he say? Don't be upset, don't be angry with yourselves for selling me to this place. It was God who sent me here ahead of you to preserve your lives. And so he's going on this long journey of dealing with the pain and processing the grief and finally he comes clean and he's weeping and he's bawling and, and they have a great moment. But then later, at 54 years old, around abouts, his brothers still aren't convinced that he's forgiven them. And so his brothers come up with this story when, it, when Jacob dies and they go and tell him and, and Je once again, Joseph tells them in Genesis 50, 20, he says, you intended to harm me, but God intended it for good to accomplish what is now being done, the saving of many lives. And so we see this process of grief, of loss, of abandonment. We see him, you know, working this out with his brothers, figuring out, you know, how he's gonna 
reveal his identity, and then he does, and he, he just forgives him. And then years and years later, he's repeating it again and again, I forgive you, God's bigger. And man, I can only believe that this story could have only happened because Joseph was processing the pain with God at his side. And it was a process because, man, this stuff really hurt. And whatever you're going through, man, it probably really hurt. But I just wanna encourage you, stay on the process. Keep doing the next right thing. Keep saying yes to Jesus. Keep letting God guide your choices. And even if you don't always get it right and you, and you don't always know what to do with your feelings, man, keep showing grace and keep processing that pain with Jesus at your side. So much of the time when we get hurt, we wanna run away from God because of how people have treated us, because of something somebody said, or because our earthly father wasn't good to us. We project that onto our heavenly father, but don't fall for that trap. Process the pain, process the trauma, process the grief with Jesus at your side. If your family's broken, the story's not over. Jesus wants to walk with you through it and help you process that. He wants to help you. The thing that I love about this whole story is, is this next point, number four, is that in the end, Joseph was future-focused. Last week, we jumped to Hebrews. We jumped from the, the story of, of, of Abraham back in Genesis all the way to Hebrews and what, what, the, what the, the Hall of Fame of Faith had to say about Abraham. Well, it had something to say about Joseph, too, and in Hebrews eleven twenty two, 22, it says, it was by faith that Joseph, when he was about to die, he said confidently that the people of Israel would leave Egypt. He even commanded them to take his bones with them when they left. What does that tell us? It tells us that Joseph knew that his worldly success that just because his circumstances got better, that just because life was relatively good for him in Egypt, that was not his greatest accomplishment. It wasn't. He wanted to go back home. He wanted reconciliation. He wanted to show forgiveness. He wanted to leave the place where he had been so successful because that was not his home. That was the place of his enslavement. He wanted his kids and his descendants to experience a new life and not carry his hurt into the next generation. He might have spent some time there. He might have, have, have done some time there. He might have been there for a period and he might have even experienced success there, but he realized that that was not his home. Listen, you may live a life of pain, and you may even figure out how to get through, but don't let your heart settle there. Part of processing pain and, and processing family dysfunction is having a bigger picture in life, seeing a bigger perspective. And so the attitude that we need to have is just like Joseph, that even though we've gone through hurt and pain and our family maybe has, uh, hasn't been everything that, that, we, that we wanted, that I want to pass on God's goodness, not my trauma. I wanna pass on the fact that I'm a child of the king, that he's prepared a place for me, that, that man, what is ahead of me is better than what was behind me. These were some of his last words as he's getting ready to die. He's like, take me home. 
Take me home. And that's, that's the kind of heart that we need to have that, man, this life is hard and man, I've been hurt and, and yes, there's been trauma, but what is in front of me is way better than what is behind me because of the grace of Jesus Christ. Because I've been adopted into God's family. I'm a child of the King and I've got a home in heaven. Amen? Amen. And so we can have this attitude. I want to pass on the goodness of God. I want to pass on the fact that, man, this earth is not my home. I want to spend eternity with the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. And that's, that is the number one thing I want to pass on. I want my kids to live in the land of the promises of God, not in the land of my grief or my pain. My family drama was not fun, but God can work in it for his good, right? This, this attitude of future focused. And I, I, told, I know I told you guys last week, you know, how blessed I am to come from such a great family. And I am. But unfortunately, as a pastor the last 20 years, and as a youth pastor, and I, I've, I've just seen broken family after broken family after broken family. And I've carried a lot of that, of, of other people's pain. Deep in my gut. And you know what that's like. You know when you've got a loved one or family member that is, is going through it, and it's just heavy. And so what do we need to do as a church? We need to, number one, we need to come alongside each other and help to carry each other's burdens. We need to carry each other's burdens. We need to make a collective choice in our families and as the family of God and the body of Christ to stay close to Jesus. Because for our proximity to him is gonna be a determining factor of whether we're gonna get through it or not. We need to let God use us wherever we are. You don't have to get out of all the pain before God can start to use you. You can still be a little broken. You can still be, you know, maybe, maybe your, your circumstances are not changed yet, but God can still use you in a powerful way when you stay humble and dedicated to him. We need to process with our pain with Jesus as our example, right? With Jesus as our guide keeping a soft heart towards him. For some of you, that might mean you need to get a counselor. You need some, to seek out some professional help with a, a godly, Bible-based Christian counselor that can lead you in the truth, that can lead you to process your pain, pain with Jesus right at the center. For some of you, it means you need to be honest in your life group and just, and maybe not with everybody, but maybe with one person and invite them to pray for you and to, to help keep you on track. Maybe to be an accountability partner. And then last but not least, we're keeping our eyes on the future. We're keeping, we're not putting our eyes in the past. We're dealing with the past. We're, we're processing the past, but we're remembering it's the past. And Jesus has created a better future for you. A better future. It doesn't mean all the circumstances on this side of heaven will be perfect, right? But you're doing it with Jesus and your future with him is always better than your past without him. Amen. Because <clears throat> we want to pass on God's goodness, not our pain and not our trauma. And so when we talk about generation to generation and passing on the right things, man, this is a question that every single one of us has to ask.
God, what am I gonna do with this life that I've been given? I didn't get to choose my family. I didn't get to choose my experiences and all my circumstances. Some of them I'm, I'm, I'm paying for because of my own choices, but I didn't choose all of them. But God, I, I'm doing my best. I wanna seek after you. I wanna press into you. I wanna get close to you so that I can process this with your help. And so for some of you, that means that you need to run to Jesus for the first time today. And if that's you, or let's just bow, everybody in this room, let's bow our heads, let's close our eyes. And if that's you today and you say, Joe, man, I've run everywhere besides Jesus to try to figure out the answers to my pain in this life. And it's time to start running towards Jesus for his help and his direction. And maybe even for you, that means that it, it's time to start a relationship with him. You, you know that because he died for you on the cross and he rose again on the third day and he did all that for you. And so you know that you can trust him and that you could put your life in his hands. And just like he led Joseph through some really tough times, he can lead you too. And if you're ready to start on that faith journey and start walking with Jesus today and begin a relationship with him and trust him as your Lord and Savior, if that's you, I just wanna encourage you to raise your hand and say, that's me, Joe. I wanna to begin to follow Jesus today. I wanna to make him the Lord of my life. I wanna just surrender my life to him once and for all. Anyone? Maybe you're here today and you say, Joe, I either have or I am currently processing some pretty serious family pain, whatever that might look like. It could be a, a minor infraction. It could be a major. It could be um, uh, just something that really hurts your heart, or it could be something like physical and legitimate like Joseph went through, major abandonment. It could, anywhere on the spectrum, but you're, you're struggling to process family pain and dysfunction today and you wanna make a new commitment to let Jesus help you process that. If that's you today, just raise your hand. I wanna pray with you, especially today. Amen. Amen, hands up all over the room. Amen. All right, you can put your hands down. Let's pray today. God, I pray for those that, that decide to give their life to Jesus today. Your word says that if we believe in our heart, that Jesus is Lord and that God raised him from the dead, we'll be saved. If we put our faith in the name of Jesus, and we trust you, and we invite you to be the Lord of our life, God, you'll take our life, our broken life, all the ashes and all the, 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 the junk, and you'll throw our sin as far as the east is from the west, and you'll make us a new creation. And so, those of you that want to accept Jesus Christ today, you can pray a prayer just like that, inviting Jesus to be your Lord, trusting him that he really is who he says he is, that he's God, that he's our savior, that he came to take away our sins and to make us a new creation. You can trust him with your life today. And if you do that today, we have a, we have a, a gift bag in the lobby for you. And if if, and it has a Bible and some resources in it to help you get started in your faith. You can pick that up on your way out. That's awesome. If you raise your hand because you're just dealing with pain, let's pray together today. God, I pray for my friends that just wanna make a commitment today to process their pain with you instead of without you. God, first of all, we acknowledge that it's a process. That just like Joseph 
obviously carried this weight and carried this pain for years and years and years and years. That for us too, it can be hard to process. But Jesus, processing it with you is so much better than try to go it alone. And so I just pray for those here today that, that, that are deciding today to be proactive with this, to, to put their pain in your hands, to allow you to walk with them through it. And even if it might be a long process, even if it might be something that, that is hard and, and requires conversations and, and reconciliation and healing, God, we're making the decision today to let you be Lord of that process, to let you be Lord. God, I pray for my friends that raise their hand, whatever their next step is, whether it's going to see a counselor or whether it's having a reconciliation conversation with a family member or whatever the appropriate right next step would be, I, would, I pray that you help them to find that next step. Whether it's through conversations with a friend or a pastor or a life group leader, God, that they would begin to pursue the right next step in that situation. But God, I pray that not a person in this room dealing with pain leaves that pain on the shelf but they begin to invite you to be Lord of that process in Jesus name, in Jesus name. Church, if there's one thing I've learned from the life of Joseph is that there's hope. There's hope for your family. There's hope for your family. And I hope you leave this place today full of hope that God's with you, God can use you, and he's gonna help you in the process, amen? Amen. We're going to have some people up here. If you need prayer, you can come get prayer before you leave. Otherwise, you're going to be dismissed. Thanks so much for being here at Mosaic Church. We love you. We're for you. We're with you. Have an awesome week. You are dismissed. Thanks for joining us online at Mosaic Church. We hope today's message was life-changing and useful. For more info, visit mosaiccincinnati.com.